Yehuda Geber with a, a, um, another Jewish History Sound Bites podcast. And today um, we'll talk one of the most beloved personalities of Jewish history in the last 150 years, the greatest Jewish leaders, Sadiqim Gedolim, was the Chavetz Chaim, pretty much uh, undisputed as a great Jewish leader across the boards. And the irony of the Chavetz Chaim is that there's so many great things to say about him and so many great stories, which I hope to do. I hope to do so and spend, um, you know, many, <laughs> many podcasts to speak about him. And when I sat down first to prepare it, um, thought about all the mythology and legends that surround the Chavetz Chaim and how so many of them are not true. And I thought about that, how, why is that? He's the one person who you don't have to make up any stories about him because there's so many great stories that you could verify that are true, and there's no shortage of them whatsoever. So before we even get to um, talking about who he was, which we'll do in future podcasts, um, take today I'll discuss a few of the myths surrounding the Chavetz Chaim. You know, we bring groups all the time. I go with groups all the time to the Chavetz Chaim. Uh, Radin today is no longer in Poland. It's in Belarus, uh, not far from the Lithuanian and Polish uh, border. Uh, it's not far from Vilna, but it's also not far from the Polish border. And um, there's always a special, you know, feeling. Some groups tell me that their main thing is to go to the Chavetz Chaim and everything else is is is... Once we're already going to Chavetz Chaim, we'll also visit other places. But there's really this tremendous love that many people have and uh, the way people look up to him till today. And definitely it's a highlight of any trip and any visit that we that, that Belarus is included in the itinerary. Um, so already in his lifetime, there's all kinds of legends that surround. There's a famous, again, allegedly, it's a legend story that he was called in as an expert witness in some sort of trial of a boy who was evading the draft, and the Chavetz Chaim was called into a test that this boy was a good guy and is not a criminal. And the lawyer of the child of the boy, when he introduces the Chavetz Chaim as a character witness, he tells the judge some uh, story about the Chavetz Chaim that seemed to be to border on the uh, incredible. In other words, non credible. And the judge points that out. He says, it doesn't seem like this is really a true story about the fellow that you're saying this about. Um, do you yourself believe the story? And the lawyer says, I'll be honest, I don't believe the story either. But they don't say stories like that about me or you. And if they don't say stories about like that about me or you, it tells you what type of guy it is. So maybe this is, a, I guess, I'm not saying a justification, but maybe this is some sort of explanation about how there's so much mythology surrounding the Chavetz Chaim. Um, even in his lifetime, and especially till today. They keep on producing more and more of them, and we're going to bust a few of those uh, myths uh, today. Um, another reason why Dafka the Chavetz Chaim, there was so much, so much legend attached to his personality, is because he was the closest thing that the Litvaks had to a, a Rebbe, a Hasidish Rebbe. He, people came to him for brachas like they did to a Rebbe, uh, people were in awe of him. He had a certain aura of his personality, especially in his later years. Um, and um, 
And once once he's a rebbe, so then you have to have what the Hasidim call moifsim. You have to have stories about the rebbe. In the same way um, about all rebbes, many of the stories are true. And he really does, uh, you know, does miracle workers and his blessings and brachas do work and his davenings, his tefillahs do achieve great things. And once that happens, then of course uh, other things are added on and, it, and, and, uh, and some of them um, did take place and some of them didn't. So, you know, he, he definitely told the Panavizharov, the Panavizharov, uh, Rabbi Yosef Shloyme Kahanaman, studied by the Chavetz Chaim in his Kachim Kail survived the war, escaped it, was able to get out of by, by the war, and he repeated this story hundreds of times. And, you know, he, the story definitely happened about how the Chavetz Chaim uh, predicted the great, the great tra- tragedy of the Holocaust. He said um, the amount of Jews that were killed in World War I and its aftermath is nothing compared to the tragedy that's about to happen, um, where the, the, the Jewish people is going to be decimated and wiped out. But the war will not reach Eretz Yisrael. And he quoted a Pasuk in Ayvadia of Ahartziyon Tia Plato of Ahayakaydesh. Eretz Yisrael is going to remain a place of refuge. And the Panavizharov inscribes that Pasuk on the entrance to Panavizhashiva, where it's there till today. The Chavetz Chaim's prediction. Now that's a prediction. That means that the Chavetz Chaim definitely had an element of Ruach HaKaydesh. There's nothing to deny about that story, and definitely there are loads and loads of stories that can be verified from first-hand sources with the Chavetz Chaim, and therefore um, uh, there's, there's no reason to uh, go with the mythology. <laughs> and interesting, there was a grandson of the Chavetz Chaim who died recently, a few years ago, and in a recent, um, last week, brought a group of um, American Balabatim who are visiting here, on a tour of Harazesim, where each and every caver there is just full of history, full of stories, and there's so much to say. And we walk around there, spend uh, several hours going around Harazesim, and, and each and every one is a personality in its own. So the Chavetz Chaim's daughter, um, the wife of Remendel Zaks, is buried there. And right near her is her son, Reb Hillel Zaks, who died only a few years ago. He was Rashiv in Hebron. And Reb Hillel Zaks, um, one of his pet peeves, as it were, was to uh, be a myth buster about his grandfather. And he would say all kinds of stories are not really true, and this story and that story. And he, he, he had a certain enjoyment in doing that. And uh, one of the stories that he said is not true is that there is an alleged story of the Chavetz Chaim that someone stole something from him. It was a Jewish Ganav, and he stole something from him. And, and this Ganav was running away, and the Chavetz Chaim caught him, and he runs out after him. And the way the story goes is that he runs out after him and yells, Amaychel you, Amaychel you. And that the story is supposed to show the tzidkus, the great righteousness of the Chavetz Chaim. Now, of course, the Chavetz Chaim was very, very righteous. And he had a lot of tzidkus, and there's about 65 other stories to prove that. But Rav Hilzaks, he would very often say that the story never happened. It never happened that way. He said he definitely was stolen from, and it was definitely a Jewish Ganev, and the Chavetz Chaim definitely ran after him. But what he yelled at him was, Ganev, Ganev, return what you just stole. And he did not say he was Michael him. So that's one myth of the Chavetz Chaim. There's also um, a, a story that allegedly happened that the Chavetz Chaim was on a train, and he was heading back in the direction of Raden. I think the story might even have added the detail that they were heading to Raden, but Raden didn't have a train station, so that part of the story is for sure not true. Um, but they were probably heading in that general direction, 
And the Chavetz Chaim asked his uh, travel mate, where are you headed? And he said, I'm heading to Raden. He said, why are you heading to Raden? I'm going to the great Chavetz Chaim. And the Chavetz Chaim, who is obviously not identified, he, this guy didn't not realize he's speaking to the Chavetz Chaim, he, he says, you know, the Chavetz Chaim that you're going to, he's not so great, he's a simple Jew. And here the guy gets all angry at him and he says, um, you, how dare you speak that way about the Chavetz Chaim, he's such a great man, blah, 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 blah. And they get to Raden, and and uh, and they see that this guy finally figures out that this the person who's been traveling with is the Chavetz Chaim. So he begs him for forgiveness, and the Chavetz Chaim says, "No, in your merit, of course I forgive you, but I owe you a thank you because in your merit I learned a new halacha that you're not allowed to say lashon hara about yourself." And um, and, um, and and now I know this halacha as well that you shouldn't say lashon hara about yourself. I always had an issue with the story because, first of all, the Chavetz Chaim wrote a load on Hilchas Lashon Hara. Chavetz Chaim, Shmiras Halashin, Zechir Lemiriam, Chayvas Hashmira. He wrote about it and spoke about it all his life. Besides for this alleged story, not a single place does he ever document that it's usher to speak Lashon Hara about yourself. And because I never read all of his writings on, on Hilchas Lashon Hara, I asked someone who was an expert in his writings, and he also verified that he does not paskin this halacha anywhere. So if he learned that halacha, then why didn't he paskin it anywhere, or at least mention it? Not only that, but it's hard to understand why there would be an Esther to say Lashon Hara about yourself. And also, how did he come to that conclusion? Just because the guy got upset at him? Just because the guy also allegedly beat him up? Because he was being disrespectful to the Chavetz Chaim, that's a reason to change the Psak. It's very hard to understand how this Maisa ever took place. Of course, there's absolutely no source for the story. It's part of mythology, and it's also one of the stories that Reb Hillel denied ever having taken place with his, with his grandfather. There's another story with the Chavetz Chaim that also is, is, should remain as a legend is a very famous, part of the story is definitely true, obviously, very famous meeting that the Chavetz Chaim had in Warsaw with the Polish Prime Minister Bartel. And Bartel was the, the Chavetz Chaim, it was in his later years, it was his last trip to Warsaw. He was in his 90s already, it was weak and frail, and he barely could talk and move. And it was a tremendous mysterious nefesh that he made the trip to Warsaw. The trip to Warsaw should be a story in itself, maybe we'll get back to it one day. And he is fighting for Jewish education, for, you know, that they didn't want the Polish government to impose reforms in Jewish education. That, that meeting is an incredible meeting. What he said to the Prime Minister Bartel, he spoke about Polish independence and about how he davened for Polish independence as a young man in Raden. Incredible thing how he, and, and how he choose which people should accompany him to this meeting, which Hasidish Rebbe's, the Ger Rebbe, the Alexander Rebbe, the Belzer Rebbe, uh, amazing, uh, amazing story. But the best part of the story, which is the legend part, is that the Chavetz Chaim spoke in Yiddish, and um, and the a, a Gudis Yisrael member of Parliament, Usher, um, uh, uh, oh, now I forgot his name, of course, uh, Usher something or another, was a a a. Uh, a member of, of the Agudis Yisrael in the Polish parliament. He obviously spoke a beautiful Polish, and he offers to translate what the Chavetz Chaim said. And Bartel says to um, 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 this, this Agudis Yisrael representative, he says, you don't have to translate it. He speaks the language of the heart, and the language of the heart is something I understand. That's the way the story goes. And the issue that I had with the story was twofold. 
Number one, Bartel's a diplomat. He's 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 a politician. He wants to get a good, un, get on their good side. Not only that, but he isn't planning on listening to the Chavetz Chaim, and he didn't. They didn't went through with the reforms. Unfortunately, the Chavetz Chaim was not so, so successful in his mission. So why should he antagonize them? He might as well praise them. And if he's a savvy politician, he'll do it in a classy way, and he'll say he understood exactly what he said. That's the first issue I had with the story. The second issue was even bigger. Um, Yiddish is very similar to German. If you're an educated European during the 1930s, then you study German at the university. Bartel was the prime minister of Poland. He was presumably educated. He probably knew a half-decent German. The Yiddish might have been similar enough for him to understand maybe not every word, but at least the basics. So I went with these two questions to a great uh, religious historian, may live and be well, uh, one very close with, Mayor Wunder, who wrote a, quite a bit on, on Galicia Jewry, a great, phenomenal historian with wide, vast uh, knowledge, who was one of my mentors in, in uh, Jewish history tours to Europe and in, in general, uh, an incredible man. And I asked him these two questions, and he said, eh, I'm not so impressed with either of your questions, but you should know that I had issues with the story also, and it turns out that it's also really legend. You know why? Because Bartel actually knew Yiddish. He grew up in a home where he had a relative who was Jewish. There was some sort of mixed marriage, either his grandparents or some other close relative. It wasn't so clear. I didn't quite understand which relative was. There was a mixed marriage. And he grew up knowing a very good Yiddish. He conversed with Jewish relatives that he grew up with. And this was something, one of the languages he knew in his home. So he knew a perfect Yiddish. And that's what he meant when he understood the Chavetz Chaim. It wasn't because he understood the language of the heart. It was because he knew Yiddish. And that's um, a very interesting way to end that myth as well. The best myth, though, that, that involves the Chavetz Chaim is about something he wrote. Um, he wrote in the Mishnah Berurah, in Hilchis uh, Rosh Hashanah, Hilchis Shaifer, he quotes a psak from, or an explanation rather, from a contemporary of his, um, the Reb Meir Simcha of Dvinsk, the Arsa Meach. And uh, the, the, the discussion is irrelevant. It's about how to hold the shayfer and which side of the mouth. And, um, and the, it's the only time he quotes a contemporary in the entire six volumes of Mishnah Brura. And the explanation that's always given is that he normally doesn't quote contemporaries. Why did he take exception by quoting Reb Meir Simchav Dvin Stars Gameach in the one and only time that he quotes a contemporary? It's to pacify him for a confrontation they had at the 1910 rabbinical conference in St. Petersburg. The 1910 rabbinical conference in St. Petersburg is a topic for another time. It's a fascinating story. The czar and the czarist officials, why they called the conference, who attended the conference, what's decided at that conference, what, what is shot down at that conference, and the influence from the secular, from the later maskilim, um, and the fight for rabbinical, uh, the rabbinical leadership to keep um, the rabbinical uh, um, uh, du- official uh, duties in their power, um, and, the, and the, uh, the controversy within rabbinical circles about how to deal with the uh, influence of the Russian government at the time. It's definitely a topic in itself. What's relevant for our discussion is, is that there was a quite a uh, not-so-pleasant confrontation between the Chavetz Chaim and the Arsameach at this conference. They disagreed on a point of should the rabbis in Russia study Russian to pacify the Russian government and um, to make them more official. Um, and the Chavetz Chaim took exception. He, took, he was very 
anti the rabbis learning Russian, and he and the Arsameh had a disagreement. So the way the story goes is that to pacify him, he quotes from him, he's the only contemporary that he quotes in the Mishnah Brura. The problem with the story is very simple. The conference in St. Petersburg took place in 1910. The sixth volume of the Mishnah Brura, where this halacha is printed, is published in 1907. Now we did mention earlier that the Chavitz Chaim has Ruach HaKadosh, but it would be a far stretch to say that he pacified him before the confrontation ever took place because he saw through HaKadosh that he's going to disagree with him in three years from now at the conference, which obviously is not the reason. So I don't know why he quotes him, and it's the only time he quotes a contemporary, but that's definitely not the reason. Is because it's to pacify him because he wrote it before um, the conference ever took place. And that's a story we'll obviously get back to when we talk about... Uh, the um, 1910 rabbinical conference, but that's uh, another myth buster there. As it happens, he's not the only tech contemporary that's quoted in the Mishnah Brura. In a very tragic story, the Chavetz Chaim also quotes his own son. Um, his son is quoted in the Bir Halacha and Hilchas Shabbos and Simon Shin Lamed Beis, in a long Bir Halacha. The Chavetz Chaim quotes his son Avram. His son Avram was a very special boy. The Chavetz Chaim was extremely close to him. It was his second son from his first marriage, the Chavetz Chaim had six children, three boys, three girls. From his first marriage, he had two boys and two girls. From his second marriage, he had one boy and one girl. And his uh, second son, after Ablaib, who was his oldest, his second son was Avram, and he learned in the Slabatki Yeshiva by the altar. He then studied in the Valozhin Yeshiva by the Nitziv. Uh, the Nitziv and, and Reb Chaim Brisker used to hold him to a high standard because he was the son of the Chavetz Chaim. He actually studied with Reb Baruch Berlibowitz, as a, in a Chavrusa, the Chavetz Chaim quotes him in his Sefer Machane Yisrael, in his uh, Sefer that he printed for Jewish soldiers in the Russian army, from something that Avram said when he was 12 years old. The Chavetz Chaim really believed in him. He was an Ilui. And um, when he was 23 years old, in 1886, there was a fire in the Volozhin Yeshiva. The town burnt down. The Yeshiva had to be refurbished. Um, Avram was walking outside after working very hard with the other Volozhin Yeshiva boys, to help people who were homeless with the fire. He was overworked, he was tired, he was exhausted, and they walked to the next town to find shelter. Um, they were exposed to the weather. Um, it was winter time. He caught something, perhaps a pneumonia of some sorts. He gets weakened. He's sent back to Radim Chavetz Chaim, who was in Warsaw, staying by Rav Itchagrajinsky in Warsaw, is called the telegram immediately back to Radim. Um, he sensed that something was wrong. It was Shabbos. When he sensed that something was wrong, he said to his host, Rabitra Gudzinski, I feel like a Sefer Torah has fallen out of my hands. And Mighty Shabbos, he gets the telegram, he comes back to Raden, and unfortunately, Avram passed away at the age of 23, uh, just a couple of days later, and he's buried in the Raden Cemetery. His, uh, his, his, uh, his Matzev, as far as I know, has not been restored. I have never seen it in, in Raden, but it should be not far from where his father is. Um, and uh, he's quoted with loving and loving terms by his father in that Bir Halacha. So that's sort of another contemporary in a very sad way, is also quoted by the Chavetz Chaim in his uh, Mishnah Brura. So there you have, there's um, plenty of stories that are true about the Chavetz Chaim, endless amounts, and we'll have to get back to the Chavetz Chaim in a future uh, podcast. This is Yehuda Geber, you can reach me at YGEBSS at gmail.com for 
questions, comments, sources, and of course, tours to any of these great and wonderful places to expose ourselves and learn about our past. You can subscribe now to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Don't miss an episode of our podcast. If you enjoy, then give her a good rating, share with your friends and family. You can follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoy.